Matthew 6.10 Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here with us this morning, whether you're here in the room with me in the West service, watching over in the East service, or watching online. Thanks for being with us. I'm really excited to continue our sermon series on prayer. We're calling it Teach Us to Pray. This is the third week of that series, and I can't wait to see what God has for us. But before I dive into that, let me just say a couple of things. First, uh, I received over 100 golf balls this week, so... That's at least one round for me, so I really appreciate it. Uh, I told Amy, my wife, that I might talk this morning about my love of $20 bills and see what happens, you know? Uh, no, in all seriousness, you very, very sweet, very sweet. Thank you so much. Very kind of you, everybody uh, who did that. Uh, the second thing is I want you to remember that this sermon series is intentionally aiming at a particular outcome. You know, we're spending the month of August learning how to pray, and then on August 30th, we're beginning a 97-day prayer journey. That, that is oddly specific, I know. That's because that goes from August 30th to the beginning of our Advent series. Basically, we want to spend this fall in prayer together. Now, here's what we believe. We believe that we'll never be the kind of church God wants us to be or we want to be if we're not a church that is praying. And we want to encourage you to join us in that. And this is what I have in my hands is a 97-day prayer journey. It's available for you in the atrium. Over 400 people picked up a copy last week. I mean, 400 people are already committed to praying every day together for 97 days. I can't wait to see what God does you are not going to want to miss it. I'm just telling you, you're going to want to be part of it. Because if you join us in praying, then everything that God does, you are part of that. You were part of that. It, this prayer initiative will not be what it could be if you don't join us. And you will not be what you could have been if you don't. So pick up a copy out in the atrium. And if you're a parent, particularly of a student, I want to challenge you to also pick up one for them. To let them feel as though this is their church, that they also should be joining us in prayer, that they matter, their prayers matter. So pick up one of these in the HM. If you're watching online, swing by the office at any point this week and pick one of these up. All right, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to pull it out and open it to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, if you have your phone, you can fire that up, uh, pull up Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. And as you're turning, let me hold out to you a three-point outline I'm going to use to kind of organize our time together. Three simple points, and they go like this. I want to talk about the easy part of prayer, the hard part of prayer, and the vital part of prayer. Okay, the easy part of prayer, the hard part of prayer, and the vital part of prayer. All right, let's start with the first one, the easy part of prayer. Jesus wants us to pray, right? Do you remember that from last week? He wants us to pray. We know that because he teaches on prayer. He says, pray then like this. He wants us to pray. But he doesn't just want us to pray. He wants us to pray prayers that work. He wants our prayers to be effective. He wants them to accomplish something. The way you know that is because he will say, don't pray like this. That doesn't work. Instead, pray like this. That's him saying, look, I don't just want you to pray. I, I want your prayers to actually accomplish something. And so we're kind of leaning into him to say, okay, well, 
What does an effective prayer, a prayer that works, a prayer that accomplishes something, what does that look like? And of course, last week we saw that it means the beginning of it. It means saying, hey, God is willing and able to help us, that that he's for us, that he loves us, that his glory and our good are actually linked. And this week he adds to that and says, hey, when you pray, you need to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now there's an idea in there that's bouncing around implicitly. And that is that Jesus says, when you pray, you should be praying for regime change. Because after all, to pray your kingdom come, your will be done, is to basically be saying, I don't like the current king or the current kingdom. There's a dissatisfaction in that. There's a a, a despair in that, a, 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 a way of uneasiness of saying, you know what, as I look out of the world and I see the kings of this world, and I don't just mean monarchs, political leaders, economic leaders, cultural leaders, as I look at the state of our world, as I look at the men and women who are in charge of it, I don't love what they're doing. I don't like where we're headed. I don't like leadership that's in charge. And so when you pray, Jesus says, when you take all that in, when you pray, say this, God, I don't want them to be king anymore. I don't want to live in their kingdom anymore. You come, your kingdom come, your will be done. I want your way, not theirs. Now, I say this is the easy part of prayer because who doesn't resonate with that? Looking around the world and saying, boy, I don't know how these people got to be in charge, but they're not doing a very good job. I mean, evidence of this is everywhere, by the way. I mean, just you probably saw in the news this week what's happening in Afghanistan. Terrible Terrible stuff. I mean, I read a story about an eight-year-old boy whose family grabbed hold of an airplane that was taking off from the airport in Kabul because they just wanted out of Afghanistan. They were worried about what the Taliban uh, coming into power would mean for them. And, and they decided that their best chance was to grab hold of an airplane and hope that they could hold onto it while it flew in the air and then landed and they would be in a different country. And of course, you can't do that. And when they took off, the family fell off of the airplane to what I presume was their death. And I, and I think in that moment, I mean, I'm a father, I have kids, and I think about telling my kids to grab hold. I know there's no chance this is gonna work, but I'm so desperate to get out. Any chance at all is better than the chance I have. And you look at that and you say, how did we get here? Who's in charge of this world? How, how, how does it get to be so bad that a family would rather take their chances of holding on to an airplane at 500 miles an hour in the sky than they would live in their own country? That's awful. I look at the state of our country and how we're always arguing and never listening. No one's ever changing their mind. No one's ever apologizing. Not just in Congress or on television, but in our own families. I bet some of you have family members that you aren't speaking to or aren't speaking to you because of masks or vaccines or who you voted for. And I think, how did we get here? 
How did we get here where we can't disagree and it's always us and them and, and what matters most is what you wear on your face or what you put in your arm or who you vote for? How did we get here? Who's running this place? Of course, we can extend that to economics or to culture or any number of ways. Jesus says, when you live in this world, you will grow increasingly dissatisfied with the kings and queens and kingdoms of this world. And when you find yourself there groaning, distressed, you should pray. And what you should pray for is regime change. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Not theirs. I've seen theirs. Yours. Do you resonate with that? I think sometimes what happens in our own lives is that we think the absolute wrong thing to take to God is despair or discouragement. That what we should expect to hear from God is put a smile on your face, rub some dirt on it, put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on, nobody likes a whiner. That's what we expect God to say. But did you know that the book of Psalms, which is an amazing book in the Old Testament, full of songs and prayers that the church has sung and prayed for generations. Do you know countless numbers of those actually are full of distress and discouragement and despair? How long, God? How come the wicked win and the, the, the righteous lose? How many times will the innocent be trod over? Over and over again, Jesus says, that's what you should bring to God. I think part of our problem is that we look at the state of the world and we run to Facebook, not to prayer. But Jesus says that that ought to drive us to prayer. We ought to be praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. I want a revolution. I want regime change. I want new leadership. I want to live in a new world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In fact, if you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, and the whole thing that brought you here is dissatisfaction. You're thinking, this world is, is awful, and it's getting worse, and I'm just looking for hope, and I'm just looking for an answer. And Jesus says, you've come to absolutely the right place. Because the message of the Bible is for people who say, I want a new king, and I want a new kingdom. I want regime change. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's the easy part of prayer. But here's my question for you. Think about everything we've learned about prayer so far. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Jim told us, hey, God loves you. You don't have to perform when you pray. You don't have to have just the right words. You don't have to be super eloquent. He just wants to hear your heart. That's amazing. Last week we said when you pray, you need to see that God is willing to help you and able to help you, that, that he's connected his glory to your good so that the way he receives glory is by helping you. That's awesome. And now we're hearing that when, we, when we're disgusted and distressed and despairing, he, he wants to know that and he wants us to ask him to come get involved and change things and all of that's great. I mean, prayer sounds awesome. But here's my question. How come we don't do it then? I mean, if it's that awesome, if all that's true, how come we're not praying all the time? I think the answer to that is my second point, the hard part of prayer. You know, it's easy to pray for regime change when you're not the one in charge. God, the people running our country, 
have no idea what they're doing, bless their hearts. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But let me let you in on something. The dominant king or queen of your life does not live in Washington. The dominant king and queen of your life is not in the United Nations. They don't run your company. They're not the head of your HOA. They're not the president of your country club. The dominant king and queen of your life is you. You and I live lives of our own choosing. Now, please understand, I don't mean that other people don't affect us. I don't mean that we haven't been shaped by the actions or inactions of other people. Absolutely, we, we have. But whatever that pie chart looks like, overwhelmingly, the largest piece, the largest contributor to the way my life is, is me. I'm the king of my life. You're the monarch of your life. It's your kingdom that you live in. You decide how you spend your money. You decide how you use your weekends. You decide your interests and hobbies, your career path, who you're going to date, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have. All those decisions are made by you. It's I'm the king of my own kingdom. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And if we're talking about Afghanistan, I say amen. If we're talking about America, I say double amen. If you're talking about me, I say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't know if I want regime change in my own life. But Jesus says the only prayers that work are prayers of surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine, not my kingdom, not my will. In fact, Jesus is letting us see that prayers that work, prayers that are effective, prayers that go farther than the ceiling are prayers that say to God, contradict me, challenge me. Depose me, overthrow me, shape me, form me, change me. And I think we know that. And I think that's why it's so hard for us to pray. Because it's one thing to ask geopolitical leaders, economic leaders, cultural leaders to hand the keys to God. It's a whole nother thing for me to hand the keys of my own life over to God. You see, there's a gap between groaning and surrender that's really tough to cross. And this leads to two practical realities in our lives. I want to kind of push into this. I think you'll resonate with one or maybe both of them. Number one, this is why we don't pray. Now, when you go to your circle and you're all talking about your prayer life and you're going, yeah, I wish I prayed more and, you know, I, I ought to pray more and I wish I was praying more. What people tend to say is I'm just not very disciplined. Oh, I just wish I was more disciplined. I wish I could get up earlier. I wish I could stay focused. I wish I, but listen, let me tell you something. Discipline is never the issue. Do you know why I say that? Because if you and I couldn't live disciplined lives at all, think about where we'd be. Paying your mortgage requires discipline. Getting dressed this morning, discipline. Showing up on time, discipline. Most of you have careers that you're really good at. Why? Because you are disciplined enough to show up and do the work. Parenting takes discipline. 
Financial prosperity takes discipline. It always cracks me up a little bit when I go to a circle and a guy sits there who's the vice president of whatever at his company, very fiscally responsible, good dad, and he sits there and goes, I just wish I was more disciplined. I mean, if that guy was at circle and he said, listen, uh, pray for me. I'm not disciplined enough in my prayer life. Also, I recently lost my home because I can't pay my mortgage. You might have noticed I'm not dressed. It's because I'm not disciplined enough to get dressed. So sorry for being naked. And I'm really hungry. You might notice I've lost some weight. I can't seem to remember to eat. Now, if that guy says he has a discipline problem, I think he's right. But the truth is, we discipline ourselves when we want to. It's not discipline or duty that gets in the way of prayer. It is this idea. We don't want to have a conversation with God because who knows what he will want to talk about? Who knows what he'll want to aim at? We know that the only prayers that work are prayers that say your kingdom come, your will be done. By the way, this is why it's so great if you have a Bible, but if you have one, look ahead. What's he gonna get to right after this? Practical stuff. Feed us, deliver us, lead us, right? He's gonna get practical, but Jesus says, it's no use asking God for practical things if you won't surrender because the way he's going to provide those practical things is through his leadership of your life. So we don't pray because we know we'd be wasting our time. We are not interested in regime change here and here. Do you feel that? But here's a second practical thing. Even when we do pray, this is why our prayers don't work. Remember, Jesus' whole point is don't pray like this, pray like this. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is not, this is going to be controversial, but this is not me saying, it's Jesus saying this. Some prayers work, they get to God, and some prayers do not. And he's letting us in on what the difference is. And he says the prayers that work are prayers of surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So when we pray, if we do not pray from a position of surrender, we should not expect anything from God. This is because the way God answers prayers is through his leadership of our lives. And I think this is something we all struggle with. We all feel like I've tried prayer. It hasn't worked. Nothing big has happened. I asked for things. I I didn't get a yes. I didn't get an answer. And we've maybe not connected. I, I think it's something we can all resonate with. But if I can, just for a minute, let me speak especially to Christians under the age of 40. Because it is becoming vogue nowadays for Christians to do what's called deconstruct their faith which is to say, hey, Christianity isn't actually working for me, so I should form a new version of it or separate from it. Or, But listen, here's what I want you to know. I see very few young Christians who are actually living as Christians. And I, I don't mean they won't sing the songs or pray the prayers or read the books or show up to church. 
But what I see is a generation of Christians who will not listen to God on sexuality, will not listen to God on money, will not listen to God on family or career or dating or marriage. They want to do it their own way and yet still expect God to bless them. That will never actually work. The power of Christianity is in regime change. It is in surrender. It is saying to God, your kingdom come, your will be done, and seeing what he does. If you never give God the keys, you cannot blame him for the car not going anywhere. It's not a God problem. It's not a Christianity problem. It's not a Bible problem. It's not a faith problem. It's a you problem. Because you never actually leaned into God. You never did what Jesus said. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And listen, I think this is true of all people of all ages. But just this week, I got a wedding application for a couple that wants me to marry them next year. And they're living together. And I think, what in the world? You're asking me, a pastor who believes every word of this is true, believes we want to turn our lives upside down because of what this says, to honor and bless and, and legitimize your marriage when you don't even care what Jesus says about where you live. And I know all the arguments. Well, it's more practical, you know, makes financial sense. Who cares? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's not even about it being wrong. I do all kinds of wrong things, you know. You've seen me in my orange Jeep. <laughs> it's not even about being wrong. Hear me on that. I, I'm wrong. You're wrong. We're all wrong. It's this. That same, those same young people will two years from now tell me we're leaving Christianity, we're deconstructing because it doesn't work. There's no power in it. And I'm telling you, Jesus is telling you, there will never be power in it if you don't surrender. As long as you live in your kingdom, under your authority, you should expect nothing from God. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's the keys or it's nothing. It's regime change or it's nothing. And this is why we don't pray and it's why our prayers don't work is because this is the one thing we are not willing to do. It's why you can't tell a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian at all in our culture because they both live in their own kingdom. But Jesus says we can spend 97 days or 970 days in prayer as a church. If we will not pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, it won't go anywhere. Jesus says the only prayer that works is the one that comes before God and says, God, we can talk about anything you want, whenever you want, however you want. You can aim at any area of my life. You can challenge me. You can contradict me. But listen, as a culture, we can't even disagree with each other. You disagree with me? We're not friends anymore. You don't have the same view as me? We're, we're enemies now. Well, do we not think that's going to translate to God? Who will, by the way, disagree with you? Who will challenge you? Who will change you? Who will contradict you? Jesus says that's the essence of prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. But here's the reality. 
And I'm going to say we here, hear my pronoun, we, because I'm one of you. Here's what we're afraid of. If we pray this prayer, I think we believe God will destroy us. If we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, then in just a matter of time, we'll be single, we'll be broke, our career will have stalled out, our children will hate us, we won't be happy, we'll be miserable. That's why we won't do it. So Jesus says the hard part of prayer is you're not just praying for regime change in Afghanistan or Washington, but in your own heart and in your own head. And yet we say, but Jesus, if I do that, God's going to destroy me. How could I ever get to the place where I would say to God, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about that. Your kingdom come, your will be done, and not be terrified that he's going to ruin my life. That leads me to my third point, which is to say the vital part of prayer. And there are two steps to this. They're very logical. Two steps. Here's the first step. How is your authority going? You happy with your marriage? You crushing parenting? Your dating life perfect? Your financial house in order? Friends, the dissatisfaction you experience in life, who's the king or queen that brought about that? Don't you see? You and I are the leaders who have led us to where we are. You and I, not outside of us, inside of us. So the first step is to just say, I'm an awful king or queen. But here's the second step. You have to become convinced that if you gave God the keys, you would flourish, not be destroyed. How do you get there? Well, notice what Jesus says. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. What? What does it say? On earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Listen, heaven, we know heaven, right? Heaven is a perfect place. The Bible says heaven is a place where there's no crying, there's no death, there's no pain. Listen, let me ask you a question. What makes heaven heaven? Is it fairy dust? Unicorn tears? No, you know what makes heaven heaven? It's the one place in the universe where God is king, where his kingdom is never questioned, where every being there says and means it, your kingdom come, your will be done. Heaven is heaven because God is king there. So when Jesus says, why wouldn't we want the king of heaven to take charge here? Would you rather, I mean, what, what zip code would you, even you people live in Hudson, what zip code would you choose? Heaven or earth? Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, because you're the king of heaven, and heaven's pretty great, and I'd like this place to be a little more like heaven. But I know that's a little tough to get your arms around. What does that mean practically? God knows it too. That's why he sent Jesus. You see, Jesus was a citizen of heaven who came to live on earth. Jesus was a man who always prayed and always lived. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And what kind of life did he live? 
the most beautiful, compelling, transformative, rewarding, rich, powerful, dynamic, beautiful life that's ever been lived. Why? Because he woke up every day and said, your kingdom come, your will be done. The king of heaven was the king of his life. His life therefore looked like heaven, even though it was on earth. But more than that, listen to me, more than that, Jesus shows us what happens if you give God the keys. Do you remember the night Jesus was arrested in the garden? What does he pray? God, if there's any other way, let's do it that way. And then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but what? But yours. That's like saying your kingdom come, your will be done. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus gives God the keys. And, and we can all lean in and go, well, let's watch what happens. This guy's going to let God drive. And sure enough, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's nailed to a cross, and he dies. And in that moment, we all look and go, see, I knew that would happen if you gave God the keys. You die. But that only took 72 hours for that to be disproven. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, here's what he said to us. Here's what he says to us. He says, see, if you give God the keys, you might suffer. That's true. God may lead you through difficulty. That's true. You may even die. But here's the good news. You will get back up. You see, here's the truth. Your kingdom will always result in death. Do you hear me say that? Your kingdom always results in death. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your finances. It'll kill your family. Some of you know that. You're living that. But even if it doesn't, one day you will die. Your kingdom ends in death. But Jesus's kingdom begins with death. It's not the end. It's the beginning of a renewed life, of a life everlasting. You see, the truth is that if you give God the keys, he will ask you to die in any number of ways. He will say to you, you don't know what you're doing in your dating life. You don't know how to build a marriage. You don't know how to raise children. You don't know how to flourish. And it'll feel like you're dying when he takes control and authority from you, when he asks you to step into his kingdom and out of yours. But Jesus goes first so that you you might know that the people who give God the keys live forever. They flourish forever. Listen to me. The power of the Christian life is on the other side of surrender. If you do not give God the keys, you will never see what he can do. And so many of you, listen, are on the verge of walking away from the faith, whether you do it literally or you just sit in your pew and check out. And I'm telling you, it isn't that Christianity is broken. It's that you've never actually tried it. Do you hear me? You've never actually tried it. You got to give him the keys. Jesus says the life of dynamic, powerful prayer goes like this. Your kingdom, not mine, God, not mine, not my political party. Not this economic leader, not this cultural leader, not mine. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done. When that happens, heaven invades earth. 97 days, I believe, God can turn Northeast Ohio upside down. 
But only the prayer of surrender goes further than the ceiling. But Jesus has given us every reason to believe that God is absolutely worth surrendering to. Let's pray. God, it's not an unusual thing for a religious leader to get up in front of a bunch of people and say, you need to surrender to God. There's some form of that in every religion of the world. The difference is, praise, praise you, God, for this difference. The difference is we can point to the person of Jesus Christ and say, see how he has proven it. What a gift. Holy Spirit, help us to see that the one who gave his own life for us did not do that only to destroy us. But the same God who loves us so much desires to lead us to a heavenly life, not an earthly one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.